This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil show for your Monday, or excuse me, Monday, Tuesday. There you go. Tells you I have been on vacation a little bit there. Uh, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Thanks to Todd Mickelson for filling in for me while I was out of town. I appreciate that. Patrick, how are you today? Doing pretty well today, enjoying this, uh, I know it's not normal, but enjoying this little bit of a warm-up here in the middle of the month. It is definitely a very odd, that, that wind is so strong, I think we're, we're, we're smelling the honey wagons from the south part of the state. Uh, that would be my guess there. Uh, I, I hope you had a good time. I, I have been in New Orleans. I, well, I can't say it. New, that I, just everyone from New Orleans just basically said, what'd you say? New Orleans. New Orleans. You don't say it, it just because someone said, I think it was, uh, oh, um, uh, Louis Armstrong um, said, you know, he had to say New Orleans in a song just to get it to fit. That people thought that's how you said it, and then you don't. It's New Orleans. And it's not Nolans. Don't say that. That that will get you into fights if you say it like that. Is that and one it, of those touristy things that you're not supposed to say? No, you're not. You just say New Orleans. New Orleans. That's it. It's New Orleans. It's it's not New Orleans. And I, I, they, by the way, Princess and the Frog didn't do them any favors either because that's that's how they sing it there, uh, in that song as well, in that uh, movie as well. Uh, you know, a very interesting time. Have you ever been there, Patrick? I have been to New Orleans. When was the last time you were down there? It was 2015. All right. Were you down there covering sports or just on vacation? Was it? Was it? I drove the entire length of Highway 61, which the south end is in New Orleans. So okay. I was there for a little bit to start the trip. All right. So, you, oh, you started down there? Yeah. It's a lo- I, uh, so I had driven down to meet someone I knew in Texas, and okay. then I proceeded to drive to the end of I-35, which is at the Mexican border. McAllen, isn't it? I don't think it is. Laredo. Laredo, okay. So then I went northeast from there across uh, Texas and Louisiana to New Orleans to start the Highway 61 leg of the trip. Was that pretty good? Did you have a good time doing that? Oh, I loved it. it the, my one regret was I think I did it too quickly. Um, mm. There was something that I went, oh, I wish I would have had time to stop and do that, but I kind of I didn't plan my itinerary all that well. It basically due south of us, right down the Mississippi River, and... Uh, uh, I got a lot to talk about with this. And don't get me wrong, I've got other things to talk about as well. And we got Patrick Cooligan joining us. We've got uh, Michael Broadcorp is joining us on a Tuesday today to talk about the Vikings game. Uh, that will come up here in the 4 o'clock hour. But first things first, I want to take a little time here. We here at AM 950, we are givers. That's right. We like to give. And have we got, uh, we've got we got a fun one for you here today. Um, we have some tickets to give away. 
for uh, the uh, the the um, production. Hell is empty, and all the devils are here again. Uh, and it, this is going to be going on. Uh, this is uh, for a Thursday night's performance, and it's it's over at the Luminary Arts Center on uh, First Street North in Minneapolis. Uh, it's uh, hell is empty, and all the devils are here again for Thursday. And by the way, this ends up having to be um, uh, for, for their queer night on Thursday. So that's that's cool too. Uh, we got tickets to give away today and tomorrow for this. Now I got to get two ways for you to give give tickets today. Okay, first of all, if you go to AM nine fifty Radio's Facebook page, that's the only place you can go. You got to go to AM nine fifty's Facebook page. Okay. Go to AM950's Facebook page. There is a post there. Make a comment on that post. And by the end of the show, we'll have a random winner. We'll pull one of the comments. That person, make sure it's someone we can identify. Uh, we, but we basically, we're going to uh, pull one of those comments. That'll be a random winner. You will win yourself uh, a pair of tickets to go see Hell is Empty and All the Devils Are Here Again on Thursday. We are also going to be giving away today on this show two pairs of tickets. So a pair this hour, a pair next hour. So just listen for your chance to call in to win those tickets for Thursday night. Okay? All right. There you go. We get getting back at it quick here. You know, I go to New Orleans and all of a sudden I get back here and we got we got we got roll. That's what we got to do. So uh you make sure once again uh, you have until five o'clock. Yeah, well, we'll say let's say four forty-five, four forty-five, so we can get the the people that make the comments, get them into the bin, pull one randomly, and that will be the winner. So you go till four forty-five on the social media post at AM nine fifty on Facebook, uh-huh. and then just keep listening for your chance to call in on this show to win the tickets. All right, all right. 952-946-6205. So a, a lot to talk about with New Orleans. I'd never been. The purpose of this trip was twofold. It was one, uh, an anniversary trip for my wife and I. We had not been. And so, you know, we're kind of starting to knock off some of those places that we've never been. The other reason, and it kind of it wasn't until we started doing research on our trip that it kind of came, we were going over Veterans Day weekend because of the World War II Museum. Now, I'm going to spend a, a good chunk of the second half of this hour on the World War II Museum because there are some things I got to say. But I want to focus on New Orleans right now. If you've not been to New Orleans, it is it is spectacular. It, 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 there's a lot of positive there. There is a lot of positive. The food, and I'll talk more about the food next hour. The food, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Clearly one of the best food towns in America. It, it, and, and might be the best food town in America. It's that good. The food there is sensational. It is across the board just amazing. The arts. Um, not only did I get the chance to go to um, the New Orleans Museum of Art, which is quite spectacular. Uh, it's it's not as big as MIA, but they've got a very good collection. I mean, a lot of the big ones are in there. Uh, Picasso, uh, Jackson Pollock, you got, uh, you know, Manet, Monet, you've got them all in there. Uh, they also have a, what is up in city park there in new Orleans, uh, which is a fantastic park too. They have just a spectacular sculpture garden, just absolutely grade a top notch, one of the best 
it's got a lot there. Uh, I love Minneapolis, man, but that sculpture garden they got down there in New Orleans, holy holy cow, is that that amazing. It's almost as good as the one that's at the Smithsonian in in Washington, D.C. If you've not been to that one, that's also another good one. Uh, but not only do you have the arts in the actual museums, but just walking down the street, I mean, the, the city is full and vibrant. Down Royal Street, you you see, you know, art store after art store, just incredible art. I've got so many pictures I took, and I'm going to post a lot of them. Uh, I'm going to post a lot of the photos because they're just spectacular. The art, the style, it, it's the, it is just amazing. The music, <sighs> please. Uh, was that Resurrection Hall? Uh, Resurrection, uh, Preservation Hall. I call it Resurrection. Preservation Hall. I was down there. Went and saw the uh, jazz band. One of the jazz bands there. One of the house bands. Unbelievable. Just the best jazz band I've ever heard in my life. Um, just unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> just effortless, effortlessly, just playing the best jazz I've ever heard unbelievable if you you know it's interesting because if you go down there in the restaurants and in the bars and in the music halls the bands that are playing there are spectacular the street musicians eh, a little hit or miss i'll get back to that in a second it's a little hit or miss i mean sometimes you're walking down the street and you're like wow that person's amazing look at them play Sometimes it's like, Ooh, okay, it's Francis Scott off-key. Ooh, yikes. But, um, you know, just fantastic music down there in, in, the, there in the, 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 the bars and the restaurants, just really good. Um, and it's in every freaking genre. I went and saw Rory Danger and the Danger Dangers, which, by the way, phenomenal name. That was over at Tipitina's down there. I went down there, and that's not near the French Quarter. That's actually over kind of on the south side of the Garden District. And we went down there, and they had their album release party. They're, they're amazing. They're kind of a B-52s-esque type of band uh, that just plays kick-butt rock and roll. They have their light, nice, loyal fan base. It, it would be a, a premier band in any town, and they were they were just spectacular to go see them. Uh, they had it, here's the here's New Orleans. So that's your that's your headliner. The opening band was a four string uh, quartet who were amazing, were amazing themselves. Um, and and they played classical pieces, but they also played some Alabama. Um, uh, 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 Ramblin' Man from uh, the the Almond Brothers. I almost said Alabama. Almond Brothers, Ramblin' Man. They played that song. And they were quite good there. I mean, it just was amazing. And that's kind of the eclectic nature of it. I walked past a rap artist in one of the bars. And I'm like, who is this guy? How is this guy not putting out a million albums a month? I mean, he was amazing. It's every freaking genre of music. It is across the board. It could be the greatest music town in this country, hands down. The culture itself is phenomenal if you if you go down there you can't help but dive into the history of the area um the, the native american tribes that were there the french working with the native american tribes um to b- help the french find the part in the river where it was high ground 
and they also had a connection to Lake Pontchartrain, which I, the reason why New Orleans is where it's at is because it gave them access to the Mississippi River. But the Mississippi River is so deep and flows so fast there for a, a ship pre-motor to get up the river just to New Orleans took like a month. I mean, or a week, excuse me, maybe a week, two weeks to get up the river because they'd have to tack up and back and forth. And it just it took forever. Meanwhile, Lake Pontchartrain, which is actually connected to the Gulf of Mexico, there's a bayou that dumps right north of New Orleans out of there. And as a matter of fact, tragically, that's what flooded New Orleans was not Mississippi River, but Lake Pontchartrain with Katrina. Um, and and so that's where you it, – it, it really is kind of an interesting study there. You learn the difference between the Creole culture and the Cajun culture. The Cajun culture actually is um, French settlers from Nova Scotia who when after the Seven-Year War, the French-Indian War, they did not want to be part of a British Canada, so they left to the nearest French um, – colony, which was Louisiana at that point, and they all became the farmers out there. They are the Cajuns. The Creole were kind of the city folk. I, but there's, an, there's some other things there, but basically the people that lived in the city of New Orleans that were from France or Spain, because that comes in there too, um, they basically were, they're the, the Creole. The Cajuns were the, the guys that were out in the country. The French started it, uh, the colony. The, the Spanish took over uh, for many years. And as a matter of fact, the, many people say the only reason that New Orleans survived was because the Spanish were so much better at, 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 at setting up streets and setting up, you know, a building and running a, a running a, uh, a, you know, a, a town from a distance than the French were. The French had a rule that they could take New Orleans back if they wanted to. Bonaparte did. Two years later, he sold it to the Americans. The Creole hated the Americans, hated the Americans. To a matter of fact, if you go up Canal Street, on one side, the roads are the American names. On the other side, on the French Quarter, they're the Creole names. Just a, an amalgamation of cultures, the Italians, Germans, of course, Native Americans, um, that, they, that, that they're all there, that they basically, there is a, it is a, a kind of a melting pot. And it, it is really an amazing city. If you've not been there, it truly is amazing. But I got to be honest with you about something. That's not an easy city to go to. And it's not an easy city to go to because what has seemed to have taken over this town is the drinking culture. Of course, everyone knows about Bourbon Street. Bourbon Street is my um, the one night I went up and down Bourbon Street was my first night there. Got into the hotel, great hotel, right that kind of near the front uh, Bourbon Street. Hiked down, grabbed some dinner at uh, the Royal Oyster House. Phenomenal, phenomenal, unbelievable. And then decided to okay, let's let's go watch what Bourbon Street. And I can tell you, after about four blocks of Bourbon Street, I'm like, okay, I've seen enough of this. Many places just blaring music, not good music too, just you know, top forty hits at you know maximum level cheap drinks to design to get people drunk and it it gets people out there and the culture of the drinking unfortunately has overridden the culture of 
New Orleans. And as I go through all those things, the arts, the food, the music, the culture of the community itself, the drinking culture is now what is driving New Orleans. And it's pretty ugly. It's not, it's, it's really ugly. Now, one disclaimer before we go to break. Drinking's legal. This whole, everything down there, well, I should say this, all the stuff that's legal to do is legal to do. You want to go down there and go get schnockered in the street, knock yourself out. That's what it's designed to do. You are, it's designed to go down there and get people absolutely destroyed. That's, this is not about whether or not you should or should not drink. It's whether or not a city should do this because there comes a problem with this. And I'll get to that here in a little bit. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Once again, one reminder, uh, we've got uh, the uh, hell is empty and all the devils are here again. Uh, This is over at the Luminary Arts Center, 700 North 1st Street. We have got tickets for Thursday night we're giving away right now. Now, one, you could go over to our Facebook page, AM 950 Radio on Facebook. There's a post there. Make a comment on it. All the people that comment on it before 445, they'll be entered in to possibly win a pair of tickets today. We'll do this again as well tomorrow. Now, the other thing is we're going to be giving away tickets on air today. So listen for your chance to call in a little bit later on right here on AM 950. 952-946-6205. So New Orleans, the drinking. I I talked to my, my mom. I actually have a fantastic picture, a fantastic picture of my mom with Tip O'Neill. That Tip O'Neill in New Orleans where Tip O'Neill ordered her a hurricane and my mom, who wasn't, she did drink, but she wasn't a heavy drinker. That kind of did her in. When I talked to her about this, I said, well, how big was this? And it was your old style, the old style, relatively small hurricane glasses, not like what you see on the streets today, which are basically uh, like a liter size of, of booze for dirt cheap. Yet my mom not only my mom not only met Tip O'Neill in New Orleans, she met Willie Nelson in New Orleans, and as well, she knew Emerald Lagasse, and she she basically was because she worked at one point for uh, for Macy's in town, and she was part of some of these these style and entertainment boards, and she knew Emerald Lagasse was on it, so she actually knew him. And I'm like, why didn't you tell us? I'm gonna love to go see his place. Anyway, needless to say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mom, is this a picture of you with uh, uh, former Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill in her bar? <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's a good picture, Mom. Wow. Anyway, you have to look at what comes with this. I have zero doubt that not only are about 12 to 20 people in New Orleans and in Louisiana making an insane amount of money off the public drinking. But the city itself as well clearly makes a lot of money on people traveling there, hotels, restaurants. It is a cash cow for them. Yet, 
I did not meet a single resident of New Orleans who talked favorably about Bourbon Street or the French Quarter for that matter. They all basically rolled their eyes at it. They all basically said, yeah, it is what it is. But not a single one of them said, we don't want it here anymore. Because they know how they know their community's bread is buttered with that open air drinking district. Bourbon Street goes for quite a few blocks there, but it's not just Bourbon Street. Everywhere you went in the French Quarter, there were drunk people stumbling all over the place. Everywhere you went in the French Quarter. And we're not talking at 10, 11 o'clock at night. I'm talking at like noon. It was pretty obnoxious. Um, Royal Street, which is their high-end shopping street, drunks everywhere. Jackson Park, uh, down the, that iconic place right by Cafe du Monde, drunks everywhere. Um, yeah, Canal Street, Canal Street, which is the one, the main north-south road there that separates the Garden. Di- well, it separates with a business district from the French Quarter now. Uh, but all up and down that, drunk, 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 drunk. And with it comes everything else with this. It's not just, oh, people going out and having a good time. That's just not that's that's just not the whole picture. The whole picture is the chronic alcoholism, the stumbling public drunks, public urination, vomiting everywhere, fights, crime, drugs, homelessness. It just every once in a while, you're walking through New Orleans and you just get a smell of something. Now, it's not like, you know, I mean, every once in a while, every city you come across that, that sewer smell. It's not the same. It's like a piece of food that's been caught in your teeth for a few days and it suddenly gets out and you're like, oh, God, what was that? Yeah. 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 <sighs> It is what New Orleans is, though. And sadly, I would make an argument, as good as the music is there, as good as the food there is, as good as the arts and the culture are there, they're all secondary now. The main goal is to give him a hand, drink, woo, party. I mentioned the street musicians. Like I said, some of them were quite good. Some of them were clearly drunks who are just trying to strum a guitar or bang a tambourine and and bellow something that someone would finally give them a few bucks so they could go down to Bourbon Street and get one of those $2 hurricanes, which is designed to make you blind drunk. It was not pretty. And the city is littered with areas where... I went to Louis Armstrong Park, and it's a you know a, a lovely idea. The concept is lovely. It's not only is it a park to salute Louis Armstrong, but it's also a park to remember what's uh, what's uh, what's known as Congo Square, which is where the slaves would come and and gather in the north part of New Orleans. It also has a connection to uh, the the uh, the voodoo culture of New Orleans. It's it's a very interesting part. It's it's basically it's it's not that old, but it's shockingly run down. It is shockingly run down in a quick period of time. It was hard to watch. It wasn't like Vegas. It wasn't. I mean, I'm not saying Vegas has got lots of problems too. 
but it was it was clearly what the city is built around now. It, it is it, it it's 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 unfortunate. Now I'm going to be for the record. I don't drink. I didn't go down to New Orleans so I could get sloshed every night or every night every day by noon. I went to Cafe du Monde and said beignets, and half the people in there look like they 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 were just they were those people that were waking up just with the most wicked of hangovers. You could just tell, just basic functioning was not easy for them. And yeah, I was I was very stunned at how much that overrode everything else. And it doesn't mean I didn't have a good time. I had a very good time. It wasn't, it wasn't, I remember we, we talked to, there was a, one guy who was talking about, uh, you know, there are gunfire, gunshots everywhere, and we have all nine jump into a car and drive away at fast speed. No, that doesn't happen. That, 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 no. But there is a lot of crime. I mean, for goodness sakes, of course you're going to get a lot of crime. You've got a few thousand stumbling, blind, drunk people going up and down the street who can't even tell which way's up. Uh, there, there was a woman who was drunk or high talking about, where can I buy Coke in this town? Just up and down the street. It, 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 it's the problem. And here's the thing, which because I, I finally put some things together, because Louisiana is an interesting state. It doesn't have a lot of population, and New Orleans is by far the most populous city that's there. And you'd think to yourself, with any major metro area, that that's going to naturally skew the state towards the Democrats. But it doesn't. There's a lot of far-right Republicans, and that state has been firmly Republican outside of an occasional Democratic governor. For years, and I couldn't figure. I can't. Like, how is this possible? I mean, this is this is definitely a more liberal city. And and it dawned on me because I brought up Las Vegas. Now, Vegas also has vice, and they also have a lot of problems, but they also have a lot more unions. And in in Vegas, I think one of the reasons why Nevada stays blue is because the the union presence in Vegas is so prominent that it stops it from becoming a a red state. Not so much the thing you got in Louisiana, a few unions down there, but not a lot. I think Vegas knows that they are, you know, without the unions, they'd all be making five bucks an hour and, you know, getting to keep 1% of their tips. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it would be. So that's why it stays blue there. When you embrace vice drinking of this nature, if you embrace it at this level, there is no real way. People will say, we're going to regulate this. How? I would, how are you going to regulate this? You've got an open-air district, if, if blocks and blocks of New Orleans, which are dedicated to basically getting schnocker drunk all the time. That's the business. That's the moneymaker. You're not about to get in the way of that. And with that comes everything else, the homelessness, the chronic drinking, the crime, the drugs. It's all there. And so Republicans will always go out there and say, we're going to be tough on these people. But there's no way to get tough on these people because it's just you you have basically opened up Sodom and Gomorrah in, in New Orleans. So 
Democrats can try to say, well, we'll be tough on crime. Republicans will say, well, we'll lock people up for life. So then Democrats will say, well, I'll lock them up for life. And then Republicans will say, well, we'll have a public execution with no trial and I'll put a bullet in their head myself. No matter what you say, Republicans will always out psychopath Democrats on crime. And that is why I think Louisiana is more red than blue is because you've got people there where the entire culture now is built upon this open air drunk fest every single night that they're not about to stop. They're not about to get in the way of, they're not about to start regulating no way on the planet. And so you can say, I'm going to be tough on crime, but the reality is there's no, this is what you've decided you want. And so the residents just kind of throw their hands in the air and say, well, I'll just go with the guy that says he wants to have the public executions because the other guys can't do anything when the real problem is this. There's no one can do anything about this. And that's the point. I will bring this up because I remember the story we had earlier this year, city officials in the, the Anoka suburb. Uh, have uh, voted to establish a social district in this downtown area, pioneering a new law allowing public alcohol purchase and consumption within a throughout, within and throughout a specific common public area. Now, no, Anoka is not going to turn into New Orleans tomorrow. It just is not. That's I'm not saying it is, but I just want to make sure you understand what you are opening the door to. You're opening the door to public drunkenness, public urination, public vomiting, fights. I saw fights. I saw fights in the streets. Crime. Um, you're opening the door to it. And I guarantee you this, in an in, in area where you're going to have open drinking like this, you're going to have more of that. Now, if that if that's the, the trade-off, if you say, you know what, no, Matt, the money we're going to make in Anoka or in any community that does this overrides the concerns you have, and it's not going to be that bad. Sure, I, I guarantee you when New Orleans started this, they, they said the same thing. And no, I'm not implying that Minneapolis is going to become like New Orleans, for God's sakes, where it's, you know, 40 square blocks of open drinking. I, I That's not going to happen. But I guarantee you're going to have start having problems because the entire point of this is not to have a good time is to pour as many damn drinks down someone's throat as possible and take every dime out of their pocket, whether legally or illegally. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. That all being said, by the way, that all being said, I still think New Orleans is actually an amazing town. It just is you need to go down there and be prepared for it because it is rough. It is rough. Uh, let's give away, how about we give away a pair of those tickets right now? 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Caller number five, you'll get a pair of tickets to Hell is Empty and All the Devils Are Here Again. This is going to be for Thursday night at the Luminary Arts Center in Minneapolis. 952-946-6205. Caller number five, you'll get yourself a pair of tickets. When we do come back, I'll talk about the World War II Museum in New Orleans, which is insanely good. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 
AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Congratulations, Carol in Invergrove Heights. Carol, you are going to be going uh, to over on Thursday night to catch Hell is Empty and All the Devils Are Here Again. Uh, that is over at the Luminary Arts Center, and uh, that is a queer night as well, so enjoy that. Uh, there's going to be a social hour at 6 p.m. and a performance at 7, so go have fun with that, Carol. Listen for your chance to win a pair of tickets coming up in the 4 o'clock hour as well. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Steve is in Minneapolis. Uh, let's get Steve on the air. Welcome on in, Steve. Thanks for holding. Hi. Hey. Um, so I was in New Orleans quite some time ago, and my experience was similar to yours. Yeah. Um, this was shortly after uh, Jesse Ventura was elected governor, and I got into a heated discussion with some Californians about that. That's for another time. Um, what I learned was don't go down to the, if, you, if you're a music fan, don't go to the French Quarter before about 11 o'clock, because that's when the good bands come on. Um, but the most entertaining show was absolutely free right at my hotel. Uh, it was uh, Miss Louisiana and Miss Junior Louisiana pageant and 300 graduating sailors. Uh, yeah, just add alcohol and watch the fun. Oh, my God. I can't. Oh, Steve, thank you very much. I appreciate the phone call. I can't even imagine. Holy cow. And once again, I want to say this. Yes, that's all bad. New Orleans has such amazing things. And what we did is it's it's relatively easy. The worst two areas are Canal Street and Bourbon Street. It's relatively easy to avoid that, but you need to you need to try. I mean, hey, you want to go on out in Bourbon Street, have some fun, knock yourself out. But there are a ton of other things to do in that town that don't involve Bourbon Street or drinking. And I encourage you to go try them and 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 find them because they are phenomenal. And uh, you know, we did a bus tour; it was really good. Like I said, uh, the the World War II Museum. As a matter of fact, let me get to that. It was Veterans Day, and it was not. I don't think we were originally planning. My wife and I were originally planning on going down to New Orleans on Veterans Day weekend, but then we read about the World War II Museum, and we're like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's let's you know, maybe we do this on Veterans Day weekend. Um, and, and so we did. And now the first question a lot of people are probably going to be asking is why is the world war II museum in new Orleans? Fair point. The reason why is the boat that made, you know, that boat. And I mean, it's a hard scene to watch, but have you ever seen saving private Ryan and they're on the boat coming from the ship, the main ship into land on, um, uh, on France there at Normandy beach and they're 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 coming on in and they're 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 trying to land those boats were all made in new orleans and whereas the european theater and the pacific theater were wildly different types of combat the reality is those boats were a necessity in both of those theaters um to to get the to to get the victory and so that's why it's down there you should not pass this up. As a matter of fact, I'll make the argument that's where you need to go see this. The World World War II, you don't we don't really think about it that much in regards to the depth of the story. We went in there thinking to ourselves, we'll go through the, the museum for two hours, 
We had tickets to go see the special movie that Tom Hanks has done, and Tom Hanks has been helping out the World War II Museum, and he's a very, he's very kind about that. He narrates that movie. We're thinking to ourselves, grab some lunch. We had, I think we headed over to Mother's after that and had some of the po' boys over there. But it was, it, we, that was kind of the game plan. We ended up staying there for four and a half hours, still did not see the entire thing. The, 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 the museum doesn't really focus too much on pre-1940 America and pre-1940 war. Not that it wasn't going on, but once again, this is the United States Museum on World War II, and the reality is we weren't really there. In 1940, things started to change where you had two very compa competing mentalities. Should we or shouldn't we enter the war on the side of the allies. Uh, and the, there was initially in, in 1940, there was, they talk about this a lot. There was public opinion at that point was very much against it was very much against it because there was a lot of people that were basically doing the Fuhrer's bidding for him, including Charles Lindbergh, which is after you go to the world war II museum, you realize we should yank his name off every damn thing in this state because he was pretty horrible person. And was, was in Germany's never going to attack us. We're perfectly safe. We don't ever have to get involved here. I mean, he was basically a, he was almost like a paid spokesman for the Germans and, and, and anti-Semitic at the same time. So yeah, there's that. There was other people as well. And it talked about FDR and, and how basically as things were going worse over there, the kind of public opinion started to change. And there, uh, they, they of course had, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the mentality was starting to become more and more, maybe we should get involved. Then comes Pearl Harbor and things changed dramatically. Now it's funny. There was some guy, some kid was saying, dad was, was, did they know Pearl Harbor was coming and they didn't do anything about it? Cause they knew they would get them into the war. And the dad said, I don't care because the, the Japanese did attack Pearl Harbor and they did sink our battleships. So whether they knew or not, we're going to war. I mean, that's just, that's, it's not like there was fake planes up there or anything like that. Uh, that's exactly what happened. Um, it, it is truly amazing. They lay out Pearl Harbor, that attack at detail. They, they talk about um, at detail, the war in Europe. Um, there is a, a fascinating little about 10 minute movie about Eisenhower having to deal with weather issues and, and the entire fake out that they were doing with the Germans trying to hide where D-Day was going to be. Um, that was, that was remarkable. Um, uh, you know, just gripping, like what's going to happen. <laughs> even though, we knew, even though we knew what was going to happen on June 6th was three day. It was like, wait, are they going to go this day? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just that sort of thing. Those little things. It talked about, um, the, the Pacific theater, how after Pearl Harbor comes midway. And if not for midway, I think the United States would have been in real big trouble. Uh, in midway, we sank, you know, four of the Japanese aircraft carriers. And so that kind of equaled things out. And then all of a sudden, the 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 type of war that we were going, Guadalcanal, uh, the Philippines falling, all this stuff. And it really goes into detail. And you realize as you're going through, it's like, oh, my gosh, there's, not only is this, yeah, this deserves its own museum, but there's a ton of this stuff that you don't know anything about. Phenomenal uh, display on the the enlistment of Americans across the board 
uh, they, they, not only the 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 internment of the Japanese, uh, the, that wrong there, but then the Japanese troops fighting in Europe and saving the day there. Uh, the most decorated unit in the entire World War II for the United States was the Japanese troops that went into Europe there. I mean, phenomenal. Um, the, the, the highest of all the minority groups, the, the, the highest turnout was Native Americans. And how, you know, if, if anyone could feel like that the country had turned their back on them, so they didn't need to go run out there to help defend it, it'd be the Native Americans. But they went out there and they were like, no, let's go. Outstanding. Outstanding. They talk about um, they talk about the ramping up of the industry of this country and 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 the the fact that how you had to you had to get a country because at the time of the war and I did not know this the United States had the 18th biggest military in the world behind Romania or was it the 19th we were behind Romania seriously we were not a very big military and there's a a picture where that shows at the time of the war the the massive personnel advantage the Japanese and especially the Germans had against the Americans. But it just how this country ramped up and how this country overnight all got on board with one goal in mind, to beat the Nazis. To beat the Nazis. There was a brand new exhibit there. Tom Hanks apparently was down there a week before I was. And helped open up this new exhibit because obviously another part of this story that has to be told is the freeing of the concentration camps. And to say that is a hard exhibit to go through is, yeah, that's a hard exhibit to go through. Told to, to, told to the visitors via the point of view of the soldiers who came across the, these horrors, as well as the people themselves who had survived the concentration camps. Let me talk more about that when I come back. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Take a break, come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's Matt McNeil Show. Reminder, if you want to win a pair of tickets to Hell is Empty and All the Dells are here again, uh, you can go over to AM 950's Facebook page, make a comment on the post there. All the people that make a comment on that post by uh, 445 will be entered in. You could possibly win a pair of tickets there as well. Also, listen next hour for a pair of tickets. We'll give another, another pair away here coming up. So... To say watching the film about the survivors and the people who found the survivors in the concentration camps changed me is an understatement. It was truly – there there's one general that – there was a comment he made. He said, as much as – if you want to understand why we did this, why we sacrificed so many American soldiers, how many – why we spent so much money, it was that right there. There was the justification. We had to stop this crime against humanity that was going on under the auspices of the Germans, the Nazis. I'm sitting watching this, and I can hear – something off to my left. 
and I'm it wasn't it wasn't in the theater. It was outside the theater. I swear, I'm pretty sure it was the following statements. None of these people died. Why are you promoting the lie? And that's and that's all we heard. I heard at least. I mean, you could everyone. I, I asked my wife, "Did you hear that?" I heard something. That's I heard that, and I was like, "Are you kidding me? Did someone just come to the World War II Museum, come to the brand new segment on the massacre of the Jews, the Holocaust, and basically scream at?" What ends up because when I went outside, when we got done watching this, I got outside and there's one of those elderly military guys who is there as an information and his eyes are red and you can tell he is shaken. And there's a guy who's a, a guard for the museum comes up to him and said, you did the right thing. Just wanted to let you know you did a good job. You did the right thing. And I'm like, OK, did I did I just hear what I just thought I heard? Did someone come into the museum and insist the Holocaust never happened? I guess I'm lucky I wasn't there because I would have broken that person in two. Go to the World War II Museum. See what a country coming together looks like. See that a country that fought for the good looks like. If you extol anti-Semitic, racist, bigoted, unconscionable thought processes. You're only spitting on all the people who fought to end that. There was no... You guys with not you you modern day Nazis suck. Can I just say that? You guys suck. You're horrible people. You're broken people. How dare you violate what this country did? What all these other countries did? What all these people did? The sacrifice of the Jews. How dare you people do that? Because of your petty, small, bigoted minds. If you're a modern-day Nazi, you're a modern-day racist, burn in hell. Because we have an entire generation in this country who fought to end this at great sacrifice to all of us to have you sit around 80 years later pathetically acting like the wrong side won. My wife came back and said it was amazing to see that a country could come together like that. I came away from that saying, how in the hell did so many people forget? Got no patience for you Nazis, you modern day people that, that act as if something didn't happen or act as if something, something else was going on. Shut up. Just shut up. You're the problem, not the solution.
And all you're doing is you're hurting the legacy of a lot of people who fought to end that crap. Hour two, that's coming up next. Hour number two of the show here on your Tuesday. Hey, I got it right this time. Matt, Brett, Patrick here. A reminder, head over to AM950 Radio on Facebook and go and make a comment on the Hell is Empty, All the Devils Are Here Again post. Of course, Hell is Empty, All the Devils Are Here Again is over at the Luminary Arts Center. You could win yourself a pair of tickets by just commenting on that post at AM950 Radio on Facebook. Go do that. We'll also be giving away another pair of tickets here on air here before too much longer. Uh, so, Patrick, first of all, actually, Mr. Brett, did you ever go to New Orleans? I have not. No, I've been wanting to go for a, for a while, though. Uh, uh, Patrick, when you were down there, did you did you sample some of the local cuisine? Yes, I went to a restaurant called Mother's. It's kind of the... I, uh, yeah, I, I was at Mother's. Yeah, I think you and I talked about it before you left off air. It was, uh, no, it's kind of the, the, the classic, you know, 80-year-old-plus restaurant that, well, maybe not the best pound-for-pound pound food, but you kind of go for the history. It was really good. Oh, man. they Okay, so they actually were one of the few places that served a po'boy sandwich that was not the either oyster or shrimp. They did the they the, the the meat one that they had, the just the lunch meat. Holy God, the mustard on that was amazing. And they also had an amazing piece of pecan pie, because I'm a sucker for pecan pie. I can just tell you that right now. What'd you have? Do you remember what you had in there? I know I had some gumbo because I got gumbo everywhere I went in Louisiana. Um <laughs> okay. I wanna say because uh because their specialty is something called baked ham, and I felt like I had to try that. Yeah. And I don't remember what I thought of it, um, but I'm pretty sure that's what I would have had. I'm going to ask you the question. Did you have Creole uh, gumbo or did you have Cajun gumbo? The difference is Creole gumbo is tomato-based. Cajun gumbo is okra-based. I would have had the Cajun gumbo. Uh, you had the, the okra-based one. I had both. Uh, I actually like the Creole better than the Cajun. I thought that was pretty good. Best thing I ate, not even close, the muffaletta sandwich from the general, the 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 the, the main store downtown, right across, you know, down in there on the main strip there, the muffaletta sandwich. Holy, top five things I've ever eaten in my entire life, hands down. Beignets. Have you ever had a beignet? Uh, not on my end. No. No, it's a it's a relatively non sweet fried dough that they drench in powdered sugar. They just drench. I mean, seriously, it's like obscene amounts of powdered sugar. Oh, okay. And I'm wearing a black shirt when I oh, go there. Oh, that's a, You know, that's a, I was, and it was already like, it was at eight o'clock in the morning, I was already sweating profusely because it's, it's, it's humid down there. It's just a smidge humid. Um, yeah, they, they, they are amazing too. Um, went to the seafood down there. Of course, o- there's a, the Royal Oyster Bar. Uh, went to there. Went to Acme Oyster Bar too. Um, they had the oyster po' boy at Acme. Good, very good. I had the um, uh, char broiled oysters over it. I we went back and I got them again, Matt. Oh, you did <laughs> I went, nice. I went back and got them again a second time. Um, I will also say this: I had uh, this was a, a bit of a surprise. I was out at the the uh, New Orleans Museum of Art, and they had a nice little cafeteria in there. Had an amazing bon mi chicken sandwich out there. Not at exactly the at, well, at, at the art center. Well, bond me chicken. I was like, okay, because th- I love me some bond me. Man. I love, I love. Oh God, I love that. And as they put it on there, I said, okay, I'll, it's New Orleans. How could it? How bad could it be? 
it was not bad. It was amazingly good there. So, um, it, it, is there a town you have gone to where the food has just been spectacular? Uh, I like Philadelphia when I went there. Obviously, uh, uh, underrated food. Town yeah, too. underrated for sure. And then uh, I forgot the name of the big food hall they have downtown, but it's a massive building where they have just tons of food vendors. A lot of good stuff there that I enjoy. I hit that place up a number of days. Well, when the, I was... they get everyone knows about the cheesesteaks up there. One of the things I didn't know when I went out to Philly was the, the Italians, because everyone New York, everyone talks about New York and the Italians in New York. Tons of Italians in Philly, and they oh, and plus seafood and. They were just amazing pasta over there. I really had a good time in, in Philly. I thought that was a good one. No, I – New Orleans – the thing which is crazy about New Orleans is you have kind of the street food. The pole boys, you have muffaletta, you have, you have beignets. But you also have this insanely high-end fine dining, whether it's seafood or – they had one place had turtle soup on it. I was like, when was the last time you saw a restaurant with turtle soup on the menu? You don't, don't generally don't see that. Um, and and they, they cross over. I mean, some of these places are, you know, anyone can come in. Some of these places you have to be suit and tie to get in and you have to have reservation and stuff. But it is, that's one of the things that was really nice about it was it was so eclectic that you know, no matter what, you know, it, it pretty much the coffee down there as well. The coffee is unbelievably good. Would not have pictured New Orleans being known for coffee. Oh, it's really good coffee. The chicory in it. The, uh, the chicory. Um, yeah, no, just everything... Everything was a very solid endeavor. Uh, jambalaya, gumbo, uh, yeah, I, you can't really go wrong down there. And so I, I it, and this is the crazy part. That this would be usually because you know me, I've been talking about for months about the food down in New Orleans, <laughs> man. But still, the amount of drinking that was going on around it. Here's the part which is the real crime. So you go on Bourbon Street. And they have all these places that are just basically dirt cheap. We're going to get you blind drunk liquor drinks, right? And next to them, you could take a shoe and put it in a deep fryer and probably sell a thousand of them because it's a bunch of drunk guys. Ah, I want a shoe. A shoe's all good. <laughs> and they sit there and drunk and eating a fried shoe. You could do that. Actually, I probably couldn't do that. But you could do that because that, that's the thing. I think there's a lot of people that go down there that don't ever appreciate get to get the really good food. Um, because it's they're just out there drinking and they get the really crud food that's on that, which is basically like a like a like a you know a, a, a local county fair without the flair. Yeah, just low quality uh, bar food essentially <laughs> is what you're getting out there. Food. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it, you know with the dignity of just throwing it to the seals. And, you know, it's feeding time. I'll take some chicken strips. Hey. No, I, really good food there. And then and then the music there. Everyone listening to me, Rory Danger and the Danger Dangers, phenomenal. They are a good band, man. Very B-52s-esque. I like that. In New Orleans, too. Didn't expect that. Um, so, we got. Well, I got one thing I want to say here. Uh, Patrick, just be prepared here. Uh, we got to give away another pair of tickets to go see Hell is Empty and All the Devils Are Here Again. Let's do that right now. Caller number 5-952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Caller number 5. You'll win a pair of tickets for Thursday night for this at the Luminary Arts Center. And once again, it's Queer Night. There's going to have a social hour at 6, and then the show is at 7. So 
6205-952-946-6205. You get to talk with Patrick Cool again today, right? Yeah, we have a number of topics we're talking about today just because there's a lot in the news and they've been working on a lot of good stuff. So uh, the, one of the things we'll be talking about is Kelly Morrison entering the race against yeah. Dean Phillips in CD3 and the fact that there could be other prominent DFLers entering that race. We'll also be talking about the EPA demanding that in southeastern Minnesota, uh, our state agencies do need to do a better job keeping nitrates out of water. Uh, we're also mm-hmm. talking about the story of the guy up at uh, White Lake, the White Earth Reservation, rather, who was busted for selling cannabis illegally and Saw the impacts that, yeah. of that. So, yeah, just a ton to talk about today with Patrick Cooligan. A lot of quick hitter stories, but it's good stuff. All right. Patrick Cooligan from the Minnesota Reformer right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson joins you here on a Tuesday afternoon. And right now we're with Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Make sure you go to Minnesota Reformer for the latest in Minnesota news and politics. As today, we have a number of quick hitter topics to get to. Kind of a busy news day, so we're going to dive right into it with uh, Patrick right now. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So let's see, where do we want to start today? Let's talk about free college tuition in Minnesota and how this could possibly impact some of our neighboring states. Because North Dakota State University has created a free tuition program after expressing concerns over the same free tuition program that was recently passed by the state legislature here in Minnesota earlier this year, where basically the new financial aid program in Minnesota called North Star Promise Program will cover the cost of tuition and fees for Minnesota families earning less than $80,000 a year. As I mentioned, this will probably have a major impact on border states, including North Dakota, as North Dakota State University did announce last week that they are going to be offering free tuition for eligible North Dakota and Minnesota first or second year students beginning in the 2024-2025 school year. So why did North Dakota State make this move? Were they uh, expecting a number of potential students that could be lost? Because as I understand it, uh, quite a large proportion of the students at North Dakota State University actually come from Minnesota. That's right. Um, I I think that uh, universities are uh, facing um, some difficult times related to uh, dropping enrollment, and this is just a matter of demographics. There are fewer people of uh, college age, and so it's really a uh, a tough competition for students. And once uh, Minnesota made this move uh, at at the urging of Senator Omar Fateh to uh, eliminate tuition and uh, fees for families who are just above the median income, um, it really set off, I think, a, a competitive environment here in the upper Midwest. Uh, something like uh, 45% of, of North Dakota State's uh, um, students, that's 12, a little more than 12,000 students, are actually Minnesota residents, um, according to the, the, the university's own data, um, whereas about 40% of them are, are North Dakota residents. So we're losing a lot of folks over there, um, and uh, it has a, a long-term impact on the state of Minnesota, the fact that we lose uh, a, lot of, a lot of young people um, who, who go to college elsewhere. So what we're doing is we're going to uh, keep them here with the the potential uh, free tuition, and and I think North Dakota had had no they felt like they had no choice but to match that offer, um, and so we, what you see here is some some good public policy that uh, is um, flowering um, thanks thanks to uh, Minnesota legislature this year kind of laying the uh, the seed down. 
And what's important to point out about this North Dakota program, which was done in response to Minnesota, is that theirs is only in effect for the 2024-2025 school year. So uh, this is only a one-year deal, so it'll be interesting to see if they end up extending this. But I imagine this program could help Minnesota keep more of its students because uh, this was something I wasn't aware about until the August Star Tribune uh, article from earlier this year where they talked about how Minnesota loses 1,000 more college students than arrive. So this could have a major impact or at least somewhat of an impact on trying to keep some of those students here in our state. Yeah, as you as we've, I think, talked about, there's been a lot of discussion um, in the past uh, six months or so about whether or not people are fleeing, quote-unquote, Minnesota. Um, it, it's a, I use scare quotes around that word. And, and people having a debate about the, the cause of in-migration and out-migration. And I think the Star Tribune did a good job analyzing the data and finding that a lot of the, pe- the reason that we're losing population insofar as we are, it's because of young people. They're just going to college. Um, they have opportunities elsewhere. Um, and they're taking them. And the problem with that is, I mean, it's good for them. And I, I think we ought to encourage folks to go see the world. But, um, you know, that first job is, is often uh, going to be uh, related to where you went to university. So I feel like if you're, um, if you're going to the University of Illinois, there's a decent chance you're going to wind up getting a job in Chicago. Uh, if you're going to University of Michigan, um, there's a lot of corporate recruiters are, are coming from New York or, or Washington, D.C. And, you know, once you get in a place, uh, you know, are you going to come back to Minnesota? A lot of people do. Um, in fact, that's the, that's kind of the joke that everybody comes back. Uh, but not everybody's going to. And we are certainly uh, like like all states. We're in a bit of a competition for for people and for workers um, so that we can remain vibrant. And uh, so I think. Keeping uh, our young people here, if if they want to stay here, and because we and, and if we can make it financially viable for them to stay here, I think we should do that. And and I think North Dakota's response here shows how effective that uh, that policy is that the legislature passed this year. I'm going by geography. Let's move a little east from the Fargo area, where North Dakota State University is located, and head east to northern Minnesota, where we're going to be talking about, well, basically some complex legal questions about tribal sovereignty, because there is this case that is happening in uh, northern Minnesota that has to do with the white with the White Earth Nation having a uh, local cannabis shop, smoke shop, getting raided by state authorities about three months ago. So here's what happened. Back on August 2nd, Monument County Sheriff's deputies and White Earth Tribal Police raided Todd Thompson's tobacco shop for illegally selling THC cannabis products. But so far, no charges have been filed in the case, and the state might not even have the authority to prosecute Thompson or other tribal members for marijuana crimes on reservations. And that's because Thompson is a member of the White Earth Nation, and even though he did not have a permit from the state or permission from the tribal council, he still believes he is legally able to sell cannabis. So let's dive into that question. Why does Thompson believe he legally has the right to sell these products, even though he does not have a state permit or permission necessarily from the White Earth Nation? What's his stance? Well, he thinks that um, that he uh, has that right to, to do that under the both the Minnesota Chippewa Tribes Constitution, uh, as well as U.S. treaties with Ojibwe. Um, and uh, he seems to be really making, um, he's trying to make a statement here. 
Um, as he as he told our reporter, Max Nesterak, he says, we're pushing our rights, we're just sick of being held down, and every economic opportunity uh, we're held back from. It's really not clear that he um, th- that he has the right under the uh, the tribal constitution. Uh, we talked to our, our reporter talked to Angelique Eagle, Eagle Woman, who's a runs the uh, Mitchell Hamlin's Native American Law and Sovereignty Institute, and um, she says that insofar as the tribe uh, has a regulated industry like this, they're allowed to enforce rules, and he has to live by those rules, and the tribe is saying that he wasn't living by those rules. But then there's really, then there's the question of, is he liable uh, by Minnesota, by by the county? I mean, can he be prosecuted by the county? And then um, that looks like a, 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 the answer appears to be no on that. And, And of course, this is all happening in the days after uh, cannabis was legalized in the state of Minnesota. So it's really uh, a, a tangled, interesting story here um, that Max has told. Yeah, the timing's important, too, because as we mentioned, the raid occurred uh, on August 2nd. That's one day after cannabis was legalized in Minnesota. But what's important is that, at least at the White Earth Nation, they they have their own THC dispensary, and they didn't have their dispensary ratified until August 3rd. So the timing's interesting, too, since that raid technically happened and Thompson was selling uh, before White Earth Nation had their own cannabis shop set up. Uh, One last aspect I want to... And so Thompson... Yeah, go ahead. What Thompson is saying is, you know, the, that the, the, his, the tribe is really just trying to shut him down because they don't want any competition. Um, and so, so that's his position. And then as far as the, the county attorney, he's saying, you don't have any, you, I mean, you don't have the right to prosecute me. I'm, I was on tribal land, not to mention the fact that uh, marijuana was legalized as of uh, August 1st. The problem being that Thompson was very open um, and sort of flouting the law. I mean, he was advertising product that uh, was, um, was even though he was not licensed as a as a uh, cannabis dealer, and, and of course, no one is licensed at this point other than the the, the two tribal uh, operations. Yeah, and as you said, yeah, he was very prominently advertising this, so it was not exactly a secret that he was going to be selling these products in early August. Uh, last question uh, before we have to move on to another story to get a couple more in, but I'm curious, what is Minnesota able to prosecute on reservations? Because as I understand it from Max's article, there is a distinction as to whether this offense by Thompson is going to be a criminal or a civil case as to whether Minnesota could prosecute this guy, even if they want to in the first place, which is an entirely different question. Right. So Minnesota uh, can, can have, does have the power to prosecute criminal, although not civil, violations of state law by tribal members on uh, certain reservations, including White Earth, um, under what's known as Public Law 280. And so the question becomes, in this Thompson case, um, is he violating a criminal law um, or, or is he violating a, a civil matter? And, um, and so then you have to get kind of into the uh, deep into the weeds of, of uh, the case law here. And uh, but the Supreme Court has said if the intent of a state law is to prohibit certain conduct, then it falls within public law 280 and they could prosecute. But as we know, Minnesota has legalized marijuana as of August 1st. So then are, are, they, are you only uh, going after him on, on a civil matter? And in that case, you can't do it. Um, so um, it's a very uh, 
it's a tough case here for uh, the, the county attorney, it seems. Yeah, and I think the other angle, too, is how much does the state really want to prosecute Thompson simply because, well, this law was passed in the first place to try to, well, cut down on the number of drug offenses we have and people being locked up for, for low-level low drug offenses. And uh, I imagine they they might not necessarily want this to be the best look if they were to prosecute Thompson fully to the extent as well. Right. We're trying to dial back the war on drugs, especially as it uh, negatively impacts indigenous people and, and people of color. And, and now you have this case where, you know, you, you're, you're basically never going to prosecute uh, a cannabis crime except this guy. Um, so yeah, it's not a great look. Well, you can read more about Max's article again over at minnesotareformer.com titled White Earth Marijuana Raid Challenges Minnesota Cannabis Law. Again, minnesotareformer.com. Let's talk about, uh, let's go to southeast Minnesota right now, because we have talked about this, I believe, before, and that is issues with drinking water coming from private wells in southeastern Minnesota, because we have a new development on what's been happening in the area. As the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, says Minnesota state agencies, like the Department of Agriculture and the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, are not doing enough to prevent nitrates, which are a toxic byproduct of fertilizers and livestock manure, from entering the drinking water in southeastern Minnesota. And I imagine this could have a major impact on some of the private wells in southeastern Minnesota. So let's dive into this. Why did the EPA issue this ruling, and what are they saying Minnesota needs to do better to try to prevent some of these nitrates from entering drinking water? Yeah, at the urging of uh, some environmental groups, um, the, the EPA uh, studied this issue and, and said Minnesota isn't doing enough and notified the uh, Department of Agriculture, the MPCA, which is our pollution control agency, and, and the Department of Health, uh, that we're not identifying, notifying, or assisting people in, as you said, the southeast part of the state with high levels of nitrate. Um, and um, certainly there's a, a complex ecology here. Uh, where our, our water moves between surface and underground, and unfortunately it carries runoff, um, especially from livestock operations, but as well as well as uh, from crop fields. And um, so the, the EPA is giving notice. Um, they, they can uh, take emergency or enforcement action if, if the state doesn't wind up holding polluters um, accountable for the nitrates. Um, and in a response... The agency said they'd uh, they'd respond to the, to the letter within 30 days. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, but this is this is an ongoing issue, and uh, it's going to be extremely politically fraught because uh, the the farm lobby certainly is very influential, um, including with both parties. All right, one more article to go to, and this has to do with, well, let's go to the metro area to wrap things up because Dean Phillips is the current uh, U.S. representative in the 3rd District in the West Metro area here in the Twin Cities. He, of course, announced that he is going to be challenging Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination, and that has, uh, well, had a wave of effects here in CD3 as a number of people have announced that they are going to be running for the DFL nomination in CD3 in light of Phillips's uh, run for president. And one person who announced a run is State Senator Kelly Morrison, who is an OBGYN from the Deep Haven area. What are your thoughts now on uh, Morrison entering the race? Because this is one of the bigger names that has entered the CD3 proceedings, and there could be more on the way as well, including Secretary of State Steve Simon. So there's certainly been some shockwaves felt in CD3 ever since Phillips decided to uh, run for president. Yeah, and, um, you know, I'm not 
I'm not following the. It's not like I'm following this campaign um, super closely. I'm kind of at a, at a high, uh, at some altitude here. But from what I can tell, State Senator Kelly Morrison is is coming out of the gate here really strong. Um, she hired Megan Hondel as our as our campaign manager, um, and 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 she's known as a key player in the uh, the Senate DFL's uh, effort to get the majority. Um, in 2022, which surprised a lot of people. Um, so I think she's known as a really effective uh, uh, operative. She also rolled out uh, a bunch of uh, endorsements right off the bat. Um, a lot of her colleagues in the state Senate, which I think is, is usually a good sign. Um, Governor Mark Dayton, uh, Sarah Stowes, who's a, the former CEO of Planned Parenthood and is, I think is, is known as a really um, uh, important, effective player um, in progressive politics, Aaron May Quaid, uh, Hodan Hassan. So um, it, it looks like a pretty sharp operation. She's known around the Capitol, and, it just, and uh, I got a note from a lobbyist yesterday as, as somebody who is very sharp um, and and gets stuff done. Uh, she's an OBJYN. Her her, uh, her her husband was a former Army Ranger. Um, I think this is looking like a, a pretty strong operation right out of the gate. Um, you never know what can happen, um, but uh, she looks pretty well positioned uh, to replace Phillips here, um, which is not to say there wouldn't be strong uh, candidacies from someone like Ron Harris, who's already in the race as well, and he got in first, and I think there's got to be some credit to him for, for actually doing it, uh, not waiting to see what Phillips would do. He said, I'm getting in, and, um, you know, I think um, that ought to be plotted. Uh, and Steve Simon is uh, just a, a gen- one of the most genuine, decent human beings um, around in my coverage of politics, and, and certainly he'd be an attractive candidate as well. Yeah, and going back to your point of uh, Kelly Morrison really coming out hot with this campaign, is that, yeah, this this is not a token campaign where you often see in congressional races. Well, you'll see some token opposition, someone running for the primary. But, yeah, she's definitely looking like she is uh, running to win this seat. I guess the last question would be with this is that, let's say Dean Phillips runs for president and, as expected, does not end up with the Democratic nomination and decides, you know what, he's going to stay in Congress and run for his seat. Would someone like Kelly Morrison stay in the race or would she potentially drop out or do we have any indication in that regard with her and maybe even some of these other potential candidates on what they might do if Phillips does to stay, does decide to stay in Congress? Harris has said he's running no matter what and I think I think Morrison I don't have any inside information on this but I think you know to, to, to come out like this the way she has with the endorsements I'm sure she's uh, raising money she uh, she's already putting together a, a strong campaign I, I find it unlikely that she would just step aside just because Phillips uh, had his little uh, fun with the presidential campaign and wants to come back to uh, represent the third. Um, you know, if he decided to do that, and let's say that uh, that it was the two of them in a primary, um, I, I have to say it would be tough to beat Phillips um, just because of the, the name ID, the, the incumbency advantage, and the fundraising. Uh, so, so even though... Uh, People like you and me and, and DFL activists um, are probably a little chapped at uh, Phillips at the moment and would not be too pleased with him um, trying to jump back in to uh, rate, run for his seat. Um, the reality of the, you know, the average DFL primary voter in August 
um, it might be a different might be a different story. You know, do they know who Kelly Morrison is? Uh, in order to get people make people aware of who she is and her talents, it costs a lot of money, especially in, in, in the very expensive Twin Cities media market. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we are just about out of time. We have been speaking with Patrick Kulikan, editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Uh, check out all of those great stories we talked about today over at minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com. As always, Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on the show today. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM950. And by the way, congratulations to Lewis in Montevideo for winning, or is Monticello, 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 who won the the pair of tickets to Hell is Empty and All the Devils Are Here. Uh, Again, that is, uh, once again, going to be over at uh, Luminary Arts Center, and you still have about 15, uh, 10 minutes to go make a comment on the AM950 Facebook page to possibly win another pair of tickets for that. Uh, We'll announce that at the end of the show. Michael Broadcorp is, of course, the exceptional political uh, expert, a pundit out there. He has his podcast, The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky, and he's our Viking specialist who is kind enough today to join us. A day late to talk about the Vikings beating the Saints 27 to 19. Michael, I got to ask you one thing though first. How well do you know the Timberwolves? I don't. <laughs> I have to be very candid with your listeners that I have no experience with the Timberwolves. Uh, an interesting tidbit for your listeners and for everyone that's listening, which I'm sure they want to hear. I've never played an organized game of basketball in my life. I have no knowledge base for it, and I can provide no assistance to you. Well, the, the best part is, is that I think you're the perfect person. You and I might, I've had more people say, I, you know, they like what you and I talk about with the Vikes. When are we going to start doing it for the T-Wolves? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. They've had a few good games, but let, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not exactly, you know, cutting down nets yet here, are we? <laughs> I think we got a ways to yeah, go. Yeah, I, I think I got to, I always want to be value-added and be helpful, Matt, but I, I got to stay in my lane, and, and it's, uh, I'm outside of my general comfort zone by talking about Vikings, but I can do it with you. But, boy, I can't pretend and wing it when it comes to the Timberwolves. Uh, Michael, I was down in New Orleans as this game was going on, and, boy, uh, that is a town, of course, they only have two major sports teams. They have uh, they have the, uh, the, uh, the, the Saints and, of course, the Pelicans and the NBA, and that was they were not a happy group of people by the end of that game. I have to be honest with you that I'm not a fan of the Saints, and why I wish no harm on – the state of New or- the city of New Orleans or the state of Louisiana, it brings it just fills me with joy knowing that they were not happy. <laughs> they, they were. I mean, it was sad puppy dog. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, when I was there on Saturday, it was LSU Florida. Holy cow! That town was that, uh, that. The college football is really still the king in the South. But uh, you know, the, the Vikings went out there, and uh, in lo and behold, they looked really good. Really, I'd say even up into in the second half, although it was a, two very different games. Your thoughts, first of all, 27-19, they beat the Saints. First of all, I want to just say unequivocally that the Minnesota Vikings and the Vikings fan base deserve to have nice things. <laughs> and one of the things I've been very kind of surprised by is a lot of the, the kind of um, the questioning and kind of how long will this last kind of and not really living in the moment. What occurred on Sunday was just, was beautiful. It was unexpected. It was remarkable. It was great to win. And I, I want to just take a moment just to remind all of the faithful that are listening that are Vikings fans, we get to have nice things. We can have games where we win and we get to come out of those the victories and, and feel good about it. We shouldn't be spending too much time thinking about what's going to happen weeks and weeks ahead of time. Right now we have a team, 
That's won five in a row. It's the longest winning streak right now in the NFC. Um, we have done a remarkable job. Josh Gobbs has done great. Our defense has stepped up. There's just a lot to feel really good about the Vikings. And I know we're, we have kind of this, this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy where we want to start worrying about things down the road. I got to tell you, Matt, it was a great game. It was fun to watch. And in all honesty, I haven't seen that type of mobility in a Vikings quarterback in some time. And it was great to see him step up and, you know, perform like he did. Mm-hmm. I, it was just a great game. It was a fun game to watch. Yes, there were some challenges in the second half. It got a little nervous. And as I noted on social media, my life expectancy did reduce from watching that game a bit. But it was just a fun game to watch. And there's a lot to be positive about. Uh, you, you brought up, uh, you know, uh, the... Uh... Uh, Dobbs is running there. I mean, yesterday the offense. I mean, and and not taking away from the one running back that got the touchdown, but T.J. Hawkinson and Dobbs. That was just kind of a clinic. On, I mean, it very. And I'm going to sound people are going to get upset with me. Very Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, you had a tight end who he, he. I think he ended up with what 100 and some yards, 134, yep. 134 yards for a tight end, which is huge. And I think between the two of them. They are a dynamic. Once again, they just outplayed the Saints, especially in that first half. They just they're between the two of them. They they couldn't do anything to stop those two. Correct. The Saints came in. Let's just put in context here. The Saints came in. I think four and a half point favorites coming into U.S. Bank, um, and there was not an expectation that, that the Vikings would win. And, and I think everyone's kind of holding their breath right now, waiting for this situation to get worse. And it, and it hasn't. And I just want to, again, uh, you, you're spot on about your comparisons to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, all Vikings fans should love that reference and get that reference. And under, That's a Super Bowl winning team. Yeah. And the dynamics that you saw on the field there was incredibly impressive. I, I was, Dobbs has is, is been a, really a great pick. And I know there's plenty of games for Lefferts and this whole thing to collapse. But what we've <laughs> seen so far has just been remarkable. And he has shown... Uh, strength. He has shown, you know, just an awareness, prowess on the field. He has shown a field of vision that we've talked about before. That we were sometimes a little critical of Kirk Cousins for not seeing that play develop the way that he does. I think uh, Dobbs has got just great field vision. He sees opportunities and he runs from, and he's playing like a quarterback who has been in this league for a long time. And what's interesting about that is this is his, I think, third team this season that he's been a part of. Um, it's interesting to see what happens with him in the long term. But yeah. right now, he's winning games for the Vikings, and that's fantastic. And we got more weapons coming into our arsenal in the coming weeks. Crazy, correct me if I'm wrong. I watched uh, the highlights of that game, and the first thing I said in my, is that the offensive coordinator has put in a college-like offense, which it, you know occasionally has been done in this league, and it can work. And when I was looking at how they were lining up, the play calls, uh, you know, just how they did things, there was a lot of college college football esque type of plays they put in there, which seemed to run the Saints into you know around quite a bit. They didn't, you know, I don't know if it was they'd forgotten that they do plays like this, or it just was unexpected. But it seemed like a, a bit of a college style offense. It's certainly different than what. Um, you know, I went back, I was listening to the game, most of the Falcons game, but I went back and watched some of it. And here's a little different type of play. It's, it's not this offense with Dobbs there versus Cousins, uh, aside from changing up the numbers. It just looks different on the field. It flows different. The plays develop differently. 
And it is a, a defense, it is an offense, I think, that, has, that he has stepped into. Uh, I don't know the level of the communications that have existed since the time he's been here, but he has really stepped into it very well. And it would be, I think, very difficult for someone to watch that game and not know the backstory and think that the person uh, in the helm at the quarterback hasn't been with this team with a very long time because he is showing comfort, uh, speed, agility, and it's working. And that's the best part about it. And again, the defense, uh, which we've not spoken about at length over our discussions, but the defense, I mean, we, the Vikings started 0-3. Yeah. And since then, uh, their defense has really stepped up. Uh, fourth in points allowed per game, fifth in defense efficiency, um, fifth in takeaways, seventh in yards per game. The defense has stepped up, and I want to, I want to remind the listeners, particularly you, Matt. You made the point in one of our first conversations this year about the approach to the preseason, and that it might take time for more teams to ramp up into the regular season because they're not putting as much emphasis on the preseason. And Vikings are zero and three. And there's a lot of reasons they might have gotten no one three, but it's pretty fair to say that the defense has stepped up in these last five games and they've had to step up. And we, as Vikings fans, as we should be feel really good about that, but it really goes yeah. to your point about the kind of the layout of the season, including some of the preseason games. I think they need to play starters more in that third game. I just think they do need to do it if they're going to get a little less of a, 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 a jagged start to the season. Uh, speaking of the defense, I mean, they knock Carr out of the game. Jameis Winston comes in. I'm not going to get – okay, the second half, yes, they didn't score all the points. But the Saints had to stop them, and the Saints do not have a bad defense. They had to stop the Vikings. They did consistently. They dot the two touchdowns with the two two-point conversions. But at the end of the game, it required Jameis Winston to start throwing the ball deep. And that is not a guy you want to throw the ball deep. Two picks uh, on the Vikes. The second one was fairly inexcusable. Uh, you know, the, the defense stepped up there, got the two interceptions. That's the end of the game. No, a great game. And it was a, it was a combined team effort. And if you would have been sitting, look, let's again, let's go back to where we were. The Vikings are now six and four. Yep. The Vikings are six and four. They're coming into a, uh, a part of their schedule where they should continue to win some games. And as of today, the Vikings are in the playoff as a wild card team. I think I saw this morning, they would be the seventh seed. They would face off likely against Detroit at Detroit, depending And Vikings. There's still some fluidity in that because um, the Vikings still play Detroit twice. So there's an opportunity for this team to not only make the playoffs, but still win the division because they're doing everything that they need to do. Most importantly, which is winning. And uh, that's a real change from where we were uh, four weeks ago, Matt, when we, when, when we uh, started kind of going into this trajectory. And by the way, there's the next team after us is Tampa Bay. They're four and five. So we're in a pretty good position right now. So we'll have to see uh, Denver next week at Denver. It's the Sunday night game. Uh, talk about another team that it just seems to have the same thing. It, they started their season horribly. They get the big win yesterday at uh, Buffalo. Uh, that's going to be a much tougher game, I think, than when we first looked at it. I, 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 but I'm still feeling that the the Vikings are pulling out a lot of stops right now, so I'm feeling pretty good about things. Correct. I mean, that is – I saw this on social media earlier today where someone made a very good point, which is that, you know, they, they basically they were feeling better about that game. They were better about the Vikings going to Denver uh, prior to last night's game where Denver pulled out the win in Buffalo, which was just a – uh, a very, I mean, Buffalo has had some tough games over the last few seasons. I think last night's game was tougher than maybe that Vikings game that they had last season. Uh, but there's a lot, I think, you know, Broncos big win on the road. They have the Vikings at home. 
part of my dislike from uh, the state of New Orleans, the city of New Orleans, and the uh, sorry, the city of New Orleans and the state of Louisiana comes from Sean Payton and the Saints. Yes, and so uh, we beat. I'm happy that we beat the the Saints, but uh, Payton has left New Orleans. He's left the state of Louisiana, and he's now in Denver uh, with uh, with the Broncos. And so the Vikings go in there next this week and face Sean Payton. And uh, the Broncos, who are, what, four and five? Uh, the Vikings come in. I think both teams come in with a lot of good momentum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll see where the line is. But uh, I got to think that the Vikings can win. I just really do. I got to think that the Vikings can win. We will talk about that next week. I've got to bring up something, though, with you, what's going on in D.C. Uh, you have a senator, Mullins, from Oklahoma, actually threatened to fight a, at a hearing with an, an, a person there, and Bernie Sanders has to tell him, sit down, you're an, a senator, act like it. Uh, you have uh, apparently wow. an elbow thrown by Kevin McCarthy into Burchett in the, in the bell, in, somewhere in the bottom of the, the U.S. House. He apparently caught him with an elbow. And then you have uh, uh, it was Comer was uh, uh, basically calling someone who was criticizing him a smurf. Th- things are not... Uh, it, this is really kind of interesting times. Don't get me wrong. I, I you can with some of the people that have gotten into Congress, I'm not too surprised by this. But we're going down some really ugly paths here, where now all of a sudden people are threatening to beat up witnesses, and and you might have you know legislature on legislature crime <laughs> assaults happening. I mean, this is we're starting to get into some loony bin stuff now. You're spot on. I was offline for a couple hours today, and I came back. Uh, online and, and started to watch some of the coverage and follow social media again. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Uh, first of all, the most, I mean, again, I, again, it's, it's 2023, everything's a surprise. Uh, compliments to Bernie Sanders, which I never thought I would say for being the voice of reason in that room and for stepping up. I would not have ever thought, uh, even as much as I am uh, trying to be fair with my analysis, that I would say that Bernie Sanders was the voice of reason. He was the grown up. He was the right thing to do. It's just simply childish. Uh, yeah. wh- there is, there is, an image problem that the Republicans have to be aware of right now and that the television cameras are rolling. And the combination of the events today show that uh, Republicans just need to, to need to slow down a bit and they need to recognize that their behavior and threatening witnesses and this juvenile conduct that existed. I'm not, I mean, I'm not trying to diminish what occurred in the hallway of the Capitol between McCarthy and this other member, but it's juvenile. It's sophomoric. It's inappropriate. And Republicans have to recognize that the American people are watching yeah. and they're paying attention and seeing this type of behavior. It's just astounding to me. This wasn't undercover footage. This was happening in a committee room. Mm. And I couldn't believe that type of behavior. And I understand the passion. Uh, I know that there's passion on all sides of politics these days, but passion is not an excuse for that type of behavior. And the American public wants their elected officials, Republican, Democrat, independent, whatever, to be responsible stakeholders, be a part of a passionate debate, engage, disagree. But challenging people to fight, standing up in a committee hearing is just ridiculous. And yeah. if I may, just for a second, I don't want to hear from people who are going to give me the historical context of people being beat up by canes on the floor of the yes. Senate or in the House of Representatives, other type of stuff. It's 2023. There's cameras everywhere. I understand the legislative history and conflicts that have existed between senators and members of the House of Representatives. That don't justify it. Uh, this is wrong. Republicans need to uh, do a better job. Uh, they need to show the American public that they can govern responsibly. And elbow jabs and kidney punches in the hallway of the Capitol and challenging 
witnesses to fight in a committee hearing is simply out of bounds. I would have put five on Bernie. Did you see his face when he looked at Mullins like, you sit down now? <laughs> like it was, it was, yeah, I mean, <laughs> again, I mean, I just say to you, I, I, I don't think, I mean, it was an argument between both of them. I think the witness and the senator were both kind of engaging Indeed. in some back and forth. Indeed. Indeed. But I don't want to, but, but the guy, the people with the, the people with the election certificates have to, have to be better. And, but I got to give a tip of the cap to Bernie Sanders for stepping up there. He was forceful. He was responsible. And I can't believe I just said that sentence on the radio. <laughs> there you go. Well, he's just, but let's put it, that's not political. He's just trying to hold the decorum of a Senate hearing. And, you know, he yeah. understands, as he said, you're a senator, act like it. And he, and that's, and that was, right. I think it was, that's not a political statement. That's just a factual statement. And I, I think that's, we can all agree on that. Uh, Michael, as always, thank you much. Monday next week on Thanksgiving week, we will check in with you, uh, hopefully with another victory against the Broncos. Thank you very much. Thank you. I hope the music backs then. The music is back then. Uh, hopefully so. Uh, Michael Broadcorp. Oh, we'll get you the Vikings music next week. We'll take care of that. Michael Broadcorp, kind enough to join us. Uh, we'll take a break. Come on back. Wrap up the show for a Tuesday. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. By the way, if you're wondering what Michael Broadcorp and I were talking about, uh, it's pretty spectacular. If Saturday Night Live does not bring uh, Larry David back in to do Bernie Sanders for this, they are missing the boat. Uh, Senator uh, Dumbass, I mean, Mark, Wine, Mark Wayne Mullen, Republican from Oklahoma, he isn't backing down after literally trying to pick a fight with a Teamster president, Sean O'Brien, in a hearing meeting. In an interview with CNN's Manoraju, he challenged O'Brien to physically fight him during a Senate hearing. Mullen said he had no regrets about how he handled the situation. He's a thug, Mullen said of O'Brien, as the guy who basically threatened to beat him up in a hearing meeting, uh, who has verbally sparred with the Oklahoma Republican in the past hearings. He's been running his mouth forever. Mullen also claimed that it was O'Brien who started the dispute. He called me out. Mullen said he was just answering the call. Okay, okay. let me explain something, Senator. You do understand if you swing at him, that's called assault. I understand you got your spitting in your hand and making fists as you rub them in the dirt behind the old pharmacy in Oklahoma settling the score. You're a sitting senator, you moron. You absolute stupid idiot. By the way, I'm in Minnesota. You can find me here, Senator. Uh, oh, oh, uh, tomorrow we have got more tickets to Hell is Empty and All the Devils Are Here Again. We'll be giving those away on the air tomorrow and on social media. Listen for your chance to win on that tomorrow. Native Roots Radio is up next. Have a good one. We are back on a Wednesday. Until then, see ya.